Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 13 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening, I'm Jennifer Crossley. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events all in the next hour here on Bring It On. But first, Jennifer, is it? 90 days until some big event this fall? Or, I think so. I think it, uh, it might have something. Seems to like do with forever. That. Yeah. <laughs> but I think first, it's about 99. Yeah. About 99 days. <laughs> Indiana's We're ready. ninth congressional district candidate, Attorney Liz Watson, has gone on record as stating, I'm running for Congress because I believe that if you work hard and play by the rules, you should be able to get ahead. But today, too many hardworking families across Indiana's ninth congressional district struggle to keep their heads above water. She went on further to say that, I want to represent the people in our district by fighting for better health care, good jobs, and the best public education we can provide for our children. It's time to get to work for Hoosiers and stop only serving the interests of a privileged, wealthy few. Having defeated three other Democratic opponents in this year's primary, Attorney Watson hopes to take that fight to Washington, D.C., taking on incumbent and also missing Trey Hollinsworth, U.S. Representative for Indiana's 9th Congressional District, which includes Monroe, Brown, Lawrence, and parts of Morgan County. We have a representative in the... uh, Oh, okay. Attorney Watson (laughs) served as the Labor Policy Director and Chief Labor Counsel for the Democrats on the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Education and the Workforce. She ran the Workplace Justice Program at the National Women's Law Center and was the executive director of the Georgetown Center on Poverty, Inequality, and Public Policy. She joins us now with her up-and-coming one-day congresswoman daughter, and we'll let her introduce her a little bit later. But she joins us along with bringing on anchor William Hosea, who's on the phone right now. William, are you there? In the flesh. In the flesh by way of audio mystery. Um, William Hosea, uh, who, of course, is a longtime anchor here on Bringing On. Now, she's going to discuss her candidacy for Indiana's 9th Congressional District. Now for the official welcome, Attorney Watson and William, welcome to Bring It On. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you so much. And uh, it's it's great to have you on. I I think it was last August of... uh, 2017, you were on joining us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that long ago? That long ago, man. And, and Hi, William. Oh. Hey, Liz. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? Likewise. All right. Um, we are, are glad to have you again, uh, Attorney Watson. Uh, now, now, let's get this uh, officially um, decided up front. Can we call you Attorney Watson? Liz? How about Liz? Liz. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Liz, you you brought company with us, with you today, and uh, a very profound, very uh, uh, engaged young lady. You would like to introduce uh, us to her today? Well, my daughter, Lila, who's eight years old, decided to come with me today. Lila, you want to come say hi? Just say hello to folks? Just, oh, 
She's a little short for the microphone. There you go. Hi. That's Lila. <laughs> Remember that voice. <laughs> you will hear it again one year. Uh, but, yeah, she joins us today, uh, I think, going to the uh, third grade, was it? Yep, and starting third. Starting third grade. And um, she's uh, sitting here learning about politics and uh, current events with her mother. Um, uh, Liz, tell us about you as the person. I mean, oftentimes you hear candidates, uh, you know, the big argument now is who wears a blue shirt and who's genuine bl- wearing a blue shirt up, you know, up in Indianapolis. And I get a big kick out of that. But tell us about yourself, who you are, why you're passionate about politics. And uh, well, then we'll talk a little bit later about your platform. Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, so I am a working mom. I have two kids. Uh, Lila's eight and Zach is almost 12. He'll be 12 at the end of August uh, who go to Binford here in Bloomington. And uh, Lila's just starting Binford, so it's a big deal, third grade. And uh, one husband of uh, 15 years. And I am a fifth generation Hoosier. I grew up right here. I also went to Benford. Um, So I know that the sixth graders rule the school and my son is really looking forward to that. and, you know, one of the things I was taught uh, growing up is, and this is something that I saw in my family, is that hard work ought to mean something. Uh, and for too many people, even then, uh, we saw people working just as hard as they could who were struggling. And the story across Indiana and really across the nation, you know, in my 43 years of life, uh, has been that you've seen, um, and, and this is actually particularly true among African Americans in the workforce, you know, working longer and longer hours for less and less pay, Uh, people who, you know, there's this growing income inequality, this growing divide, hard work isn't paying off anymore, and a lot of people are struggling. Um, I come from generations of hardworking Hoosiers where each one was doing a little bit better than the next, than the last, and um, that ought to be the way it is, Mm -hmm. and it certainly wasn't that way for everybody, and we know that, um, but it ought to be the way it is going mm-hmm. forward, and it's not. Today, you know, we've got, gener- this generation is falling further and further behind, and so I'm passionate about making sure that, um, you know, hardworking folks can get ahead, and we know that we've got uh, a Congress and a congressman who's about ripping us off. Um, I'm passionate about investments in education and an opportunity in people's lives. My dad was the first in his family to go to college. He went to Indiana University on the GI Bill after serving in the Navy. And it was that investment in our family that kind of catapulted us into the middle class in a single generation. When my dad's dad died, they had Social Security survivor's benefits. And that meant they had a roof over their head, you know, to supplement um, my grandma's job as a manager, you know, office manager, and that mattered. Those kinds of investments ought to be there for us. We ought to be able to count on things like Medicare. Medicare is what paid, you know, for my dad to get better when he was at Bloomington Hospital and up in Indianapolis a couple of years ago when he was very sick and in the hospital for about 16 weeks, a coma for four. And he's doing great. And uh, he's he's actually the babysitter in chief of this campaign. Um, but I gave him the night off. <laughs> so I'm sure he's happy. Um, but, you know, it was Medicare that meant that the family didn't go bankrupt, right? right. And, and that should be there for every single family. Uh, it matters to me that we're able to take care of our families, take care of our communities. And that means we have to have representatives who care about us. Right. And we don't have that right now. Um, your father was the first uh, in the family uh, to go to college. You followed uh, that same path. Uh, you're, you're, an, you're an educated woman. Tell us about your education. Sure. So 
You know, it was important to me to uh, figure out a profession where I would be able to give back. Uh, and I decided uh, to go to law school. And I know, you know, all attorney jokes aside, and there's lots of them. And if anybody wants to tell one, I promise to laugh. Um, <laughs> It was a profession where I felt like I could represent people and help people who were getting treated unfairly. You know, I think we do have an economy that's been rigged against working families for a very long time where, you know, over the last 40 years, our productivity has grown by something like 75 percent and wages are basically stuck. Uh, you know, we've seen we see an incredible wealth gap for African-Americans in particular and a huge wage gap for African-Americans in particular, both men and women, and it's not getting better. Um, and we see that across the workforce, you know, that working people can't get ahead. So I became a workers' rights attorney. I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to help people uh, who were getting treated unfairly, uh, you know, right wrongs. And and uh, I have been able to do that in my career. And eventually I went on uh, after I went to uh, Georgetown Law School. And eventually I went on to actually work in the field of policy because it turns out that when you see that the rules are rigged against us and our families, you, you need to be able to rewrite those rules. And that's actually what you do uh, when you are working on laws. Mm -hmm. So to talk about the personal side of Liz. So we are seeing the trend in the country where there are women that are running at high record numbers. And these women come from all walks of life and they have families and things like that. Tell us a little bit about why you decided that you wanted to run and how does your family impact that? Yeah. So a lot of my career has been, you know, not only dedicated to helping working families get ahead, but also addressing the issues that working women face. And so we know that women on average run for office. I think it's about a dozen years after men. And that has a lot to do with their family responsibilities and, you know, the time it takes mm -hmm. out of a family's life to, you know, to to run. And the fact that women do, you know, about twice as much of the child care and household responsibilities yes. as men do still. That's becoming, um, you know, men are doing more and more and stepping up more and more to the plate, and that's wonderful, but that's still true that women do about twice as much. Not in my house, I will add, because <laughs> my husband would be very upset with me if I didn't point that out. Um, so <laughs> he's amazing. Um, so I will say that uh, it's been important to me in the kind of campaign that I'm running to really reflect my values, which is that I want to see women participate equally in all walks of life, whether it's um, in the workplace or in political life. And so, you know, Jennifer, yeah. you've you've seen some of the events I've had that where I say, you know, you got kids in tow, bring them. We're yeah. going to all make postcards, yes. Valentine's postcards to voters together mm -hmm. and let's have your kids. Uh, make some of those too. And kids have been out door knocking and kids have been a big part of this campaign because it's important to me. I love it when little girls um, and, and your daughter is no exception, mm -hmm. you know, are excited about the yeah. campaign and see that here's this woman running for office. This is someone 
Uh, this is something that I can achieve in my life because we've got to see those role models in front of us. So mm-hmm. that's been really important to me to have a campaign that, you know, where little girls can see, girls and young women can see this is a path because yeah. women are 19.3% of the House of Representatives. There are too few women. There are too few people of color. There are too few LGBTQ Americans. There are too few first-generation immigrants. Um, it is a Congress that doesn't look anything like the people who they represent. Absolutely. And I can tell you that having uh, sat behind rows and rows of guys as a staffer, you know, that 19.3%, it's not only that it doesn't look like America, but also it really matters to have the experiences of half the population reflected in the policies that are getting made. So you wonder why we're the only industrialized nation without paid family and medical leave. You know, you wonder why we don't put the emphasis on education funding that we should. You wonder why uh, affordable childcare is something that, you know, we are not addressing at all at the federal level, why we pay our childcare providers and we pay our teachers terrible wages. Well, those are women's jobs. And if we have more women in office, we're going to see those things addressed. And not just any woman, but I'm a woman with a track record of addressing those problems. And so, you know, I think I'm a pretty reliable uh, vote for for those issues. Yeah. I have a question, and we're going to then segue into some questions that William has as he's been patiently waiting with bated breath on the uh, phone here. Uh, Our laws have yet to acknowledge... You're quoted as saying that our laws have yet to acknowledge the reality of people's lives, parents working two jobs who need affordable child care, daughters and sons caring for aging parents who need paid family leave, women who need equal pay, people who make mistakes in their lives who need a second chance, and working people who need stronger protection for organizing so that that we can restore unions' strength. And uh, you're st- you're, you are quoted as saying, I worked hard to solve these problems. You held jobs as the director of the Workplace Justice at the National Women's Law Center, and as the executive director of the Georgetown Poverty Center, and as a labor policy director for Democrats in the United States Congress. And I read that you led the development of the $15 per hour minimum wage bill in the House, and that you work with Senator Bernie Sanders' staff uh, when he introduced the companion bill in the Senate. And you helped to draft the first of its kind legislation to end the practice of calling people into work on a couple of hours notice and telling them if they don't report, they're fired. And one of your endorsers, Senator Elizabeth Warren, introduced this legislation for the first time uh, three Congresses ago. Tell us about this passion. uh, And you talked about the roots of the energy of this passion. But tell us about this ongoing struggle. Are you encouraged with uh, what you see to an extent, I guess, otherwise you wouldn't be running, but tell us a little bit about this passion that drives Liz. Well, you know, it has been the work I've done throughout my lifetime to try to make it so that working people can get ahead, to try to make it so that people have a voice in the workplace, to try to uh, have, you know, fairness. I mean, I'm very motivated by a sort of, um, you know, fairness is kind of my North Star. And so when you see uh, the wage gap that is so profound, uh, particularly for black women, um, I pulled up some statistics. So uh, let's see. So the wage gap 
for women overall in Indiana is 70 uh, or is 26 cents on the dollar. For black women, it's 36 cents on the dollar. Uh, for Latinas, uh, 44 cents on the dollar. You know, you see these things that are just patently unfair. You want to do something about them. And that's, you know, and, and when you start really figuring out um, through the kind of efforts I've done around working with women who are in low-wage jobs, the difference it makes to have um, to have a union, to have a fair schedule, to have, you know, or in hourly jobs, to have a fair wage. You realize, you know, I, it, it's night and day. I, I talked to a woman uh, who worked at Macy's who was re- represented by the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union and had worked at Macy's and was sending, proceeding to send her four kids through college and some were elementary school age. And, uh, and she'd worked there for, I know it was over a decade. And she told me that she'd been able to negotiate full-time hours, but also a predictable schedule that let her put her children on the bus every day and be home to get them when they came home from school and do homework. You know, and her experience was a stable middle-class life. You know, you take another person, I I have held focus groups all over the country on this issue. Um, Another person I talked to who worked in a retail job that wasn't unionized, where she had no predictability in her schedule, and she would get her, you know, hours with a moment's notice and be told, you know, you're going to uh, close the store and you're not going to leave here till 10 o'clock at night. Um, She was somebody who was having to leave her young daughter uh, with grandparents, with friends, with um, actually with a, a teenager who was missing school in order to take care of that child and then take, you know, a bus uh, and two, you know, subways to get to this child um, when, you know, in the middle of the night and, and, and schlepped the child home. So working conditions matter and they really affect the stability of our families and our lives and our ability to raise happy, healthy children. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to treat people like they don't matter. Every single one of us matters. And when we have workplaces, when we have rules, when we have uh, laws that recognize the value of every single one of us, we have more stable families, we have more stable communities, and we grow our economy. So those are things that are very important to me. And yes, I am... Uh, somebody who has a lot of hope. You, in order to run for Congress, you have to have a lot Absolutely. of hope, especially right now. Uh, but I will also tell you that having had the experience of uh, working in the House of Representatives and sometimes actually standing on the House floor when these votes got taken, for example, the vote to that Trey Hollingsworth took over and over and over to take health care away from millions of Americans and 300,000 Hoosiers and voting to take away the safety and health protections that keep people from dying on the job and voting to take away clean air and clean water protections and discrimination protections and watching all those votes get taken and frankly the undoing of some really good work that had been put in place to try to, you know, in the, despite the dysfunctional Congress, um, I just saw, you know, the people who call the shots don't care at all about families. They don't care about our communities. They don't care about our kids. They care about how they can hand over an ever-increasing share of the pie to the top one one-hundredth of one percent, and that's all they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And it's all Trey Hollingsworth is interested in. Mm-hmm. We do not have people in Congress, enough people, with a moral compass and with a backbone. Mm-hmm. And something in me broke having to watch that over and over again. I know for a lot of people when 
you know, this this whole thing got started uh, with this, you know, Congress that we have, which is completely dysfunctional. And I know for a lot of people, it was mediated by a TV screen. For me, it wasn't. I just mm-hmm. saw it all play out and, and something broke. And I really felt like some of us regular folks who want the right thing to happen have got to actually step up and run because unless somebody with a backbone and a moral compass is voting on the House floor, we're in trouble. I hear that passion coming out, ringing mm-hmm. through, and, and uh, you remind me so much of one of your, oh, I guess I would dare say one of your political mentors, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Um, it's it's just that that steely gaze and telling you truth. Uh, I really appreciate that. Well, now we, we've, we've held them back long enough. <laughs> uh, here now is the star of stage, screen, and political commercials. The one and the only, well, Mr. William I, Hosea. I don't get a whole lot of thunder, so when, when Clarence... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something about Elizabeth Warren, but uh, so much for that. But anyway, Liz, I've been hearing and reading a lot of good things about your campaign. And uh, I want to point to one article in particular in the uh, Louisville Courier-Journal. Uh, and it says the DCCC, which pushes to get Democrats elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, added Watson to their Red to Blue program, which sends support to top-tier candidates they think have potential to flip districts. And they also talked about your grassroots uh, campaign, that, that organization that you have in place. And then they talked about how you raised double what Trey Hollingsworth raised in the last quarter. Although we all know he can just write a check, but you actually went out and worked for your money. So what is it that's working so well for your campaign? Well, thank you, William, for that. Uh, I will tell you that the grassroots effort, that the momentum that's building across southern Indiana is so exciting. And you know, we're seeing, um, we knocked 9,000 doors this month alone. We knocked wow. 20,339 doors in the primary. Um, and, you know, we're just having this incredible outpouring. And you don't do that unless you have an army of That's people right. standing alongside right. you. And so it's not, this isn't about me, it's about us. And what I'm seeing is that people want to change. We are ready for somebody who's going to fight for us, who's going to fight for our communities. We're tired of getting ripped off. Uh, and we know that this is our shot. And so we're seeing um, in all of the 13 counties in the district, people stand up and give up their Saturdays, give up their Sundays, give up their evenings to spend that time. And when we connect with people at their doors and we say this really matters really matters that you get out and vote this election you know there's so much on the line the future of our country is at stake and people know it's true and so I think there are a whole lot of people who are are willing to you know yes go to rallies and those things are so important you know yes go to protests yes stand up but also Go to the doors of friends, neighbors, and people you've never met and get them to the polls in November. And that is a thing that I'm seeing that I'm so excited about because there's no way we could do this if that momentum wasn't there. You know, and I'm, and I'm proud that that momentum is with our campaign. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I'm proud that we, you know, just totally lapped Hollingsworth in the fundraising. I mean, we doubled what he did. Mm-hmm. And I did that without taking a single dime of corporate PAC money. So that is you know, shows an explosion of grassroots support. I think our average donation donation last quarter was $37. Hmm. So Hollingsworth, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. Hollingsworth, his corporate packs make up something like it's above 80. It might be 83% of his overall <laughs> donations, and the rest are, you know, thousands, average in the thousands, right? I take zero. And I have doubled what he raised, and we had more than 48,000 donations to the campaign. I mean, people want to get this done. We are really upset that our seat was bought out from under us by a guy who is from Tennessee. I don't know what generation Tennessean he is, but uh, I'm a fifth-generation Hoosier. He's some-generation Tennessean, and he came in here and bought our seat just to rip us off, and we are not going to let him go back and buy a second term. Uh, William, go ahead. I know you have a a few questions, and uh, Jen and I have sort of dominated the first uh, third of this interview, but go ahead and ask your questions. Okay. Well, uh, another question I wanted to ask is uh, what voting bloc is offering you the most support? Is it unions? Is it women? That's a really interesting question. Um, You know, I have had really broad-based support from – families from uh, from hardworking Hoosiers, and that includes women, it includes men. Yes, I have a lot of support from unions, and you know that. I have 36 labor unions have endorsed me. I might, I might, and I challenge anyone to go and do the research to absolutely pin this down. I may have more labor support than nearly any other candidate running. Maybe Randy Bryce, the iron worker in Wisconsin, might be giving me a run for that. Mm-hmm. But um, I have been really proud that, that you know, men and women in unions have come uh, to this campaign and said, look, you know, we know that when people are in unions, they're going to have a say in the workplace. They're going to have a third higher wages. They're going to have ben- benefits. We know unions built the middle class. Uh, they close the wage gap for African-American workers and for women. And unions are under attack in this country. We've seen uh, Trey Hollingsworth take vote, you know, take votes to take away uh, union wages on federal construction contracts. We've seen him support legislation to gut unions, the right to work for less legislation. Hey, his dad wrote a book called The Southern Advantage, which is a recommendation. It's how to succeed in business without really trying. You should locate in a southern state where you don't, this is his dad's recommendation, where you don't have to deal with the union, you know, pay your workers terrible wages and you'll get rich quick. And that's their family's recipe for success. Well, I don't think that's a recipe that ought to be anywhere near the United States Congress. So I'm certainly proud of the support that I have uh, across, you know, across the electorate. And I think it comes from a lot of different corners. Okay, let me get one more question in there before I turn it back over to Clarence and Jennifer. And I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, We know that you stand with the African-American community on a range of issues. Some we support and some we oppose. But what types of personal interactions have you had with uh, the African-American community on any of those issues? So the work I've done has really been about um, ending discrimination, about addressing economic justice. Uh, I have represented uh, people who've been treated unfairly. And, and of course, some of those people have been black. Uh, dealing with everything from cheated out of paychecks to um, getting fired (laughs) because of needing to take care of aging parents to pregnancy discrimination. Um, African Americans are disproportionately represented among among, um, people who work in hourly jobs. And the kind kind of work that I have done has been about trying to improve 
wages and working conditions for folks in the retail sector, in the service sector, um, in uh, in hourly jobs like childcare work, uh, where very often people get the short end of the stick. Not all the time, but all too often. And so, um, so I have represented clients uh, dealing with those with those issues. And, and as I said, some of my clients have been African American and certainly worked a lot in coalition with, uh, with labor unions and with uh, projects like the Retail Action Project, the Restaurant Opportunity Center, SEIU, uh, the Service Employees in, uh, International Union, the uh, unions that represented and with black uh, representatives of those of those uh, worker organizations on things like the $15 minimum wage, um, which would actually raise the pay, directly raise the pay of almost uh, 60% of African Americans. So, you know, when you talk about that disproportion, when you talk about uh, the racial wage gap, the kinds of things that I have fought for throughout my career and, and the people I've fought alongside um, have very often been African American. Um, and these policies definitely, you know, they lift the boats of anybody in the situation, but which is disproportionately the African American mm-hmm. community. You know, I, I think about uh, issues that impact the African-American com- uh, community pretty uh, strongly. Affordable housing comes mm-hmm. to mind. And uh, what efforts have you led to sort of reverse the, um, uh, the pretty dismal trends as, as far as home ownership and um, a just adequate housing for, say, the African-American community and as well as the Latino community? Can you share some, some of that with us? Well, we need to have a much bigger <coughs> federal investment in terms of our budget in affordable housing. And that's, you know, a budget is a statement of our values, and we need to put uh, more federal funding into affordable housing. We also have a major problem across this country with our with our housing stock in terms of um, the federal housing funds. Uh and so we need to, you know, a lot of a lot of public housing is falling apart, and we need to be funding investments in revitalizing and improving uh, public housing. And that's something that I certainly stand for in this campaign, and when we'll be fighting for. And I also saw that you work with centers uh, as far as um, correct me if I'm wrong, trying to reverse trends of incarceration. Uh, within various communities. Can you tell us uh, your your ideas on trying to stem the tide as far as uh, uh, black male incarceration rates, uh, which have been horrendous? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things, of course, we know, this is in the category of telling everybody stuff we already know, uh, is that, you know, we see uh, black men incarcerated at vastly uh, disproportionate rates, um, I think 10 times uh, the rate of incarceration of white men for drug charges, four times for uh, marijuana charges, despite similar usage, usage rates between black and white men. And then it's not, just, it's not just at the point of incarceration, but of course, from the point of you know, getting stopped by the police, uh, to getting arrested, to getting searched, to getting, you know, prosecuted, to getting incarcerated, to getting sentenced. At every single point in that continuum, we know that um, black people are treated unfairly. I mean, that's just, that's, you know, there's disparate treatment at every single point in the process. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we need to address. Um, Some of the things that I've supported along those lines. And, and what's 
one of the things that's particularly devastating about this is that it's actually true um, for youth in the juvenile justice system too. So those disproportionate, you know, rates of getting sucked into the juvenile justice system are particularly awful, you know, for African American boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and actually for girls in the juvenile justice system, you see African-American girls, you know, um, getting caught up in the system at disproportionate rates, too. So some of the things I've worked on there, um, I've worked on, tr- I actually helped uh, author legislation for my former boss, who is a very senior member of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, on on reconnecting disconnected youth. So out-of-school youth, I think that what we want to be thinking about is uh, how is it that we can make sure that youth have access if they need, if there's an issue with needing mental health counseling or needing resources um, such as uh, access to a job, you know, to some a, a transitional job program if they're out of school. And sometimes youth are out of school because they need to work, mm-hmm. right? So um, the, the bill that we worked on called the Opening Doors for Youth Act provides a transitional job, access to wraparound services, mental health counseling, transportation, and also reconnects students who have dropped out with school so that we avoid, you know, a, 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 um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm-hmm. I think that what we ought to be doing is providing much more front-end services to keep kids who are at risk of moving into uh, the juvenile justice system out of the system. And for those who are caught up in the juvenile justice system, I think we need to move more toward a model of treatment and diversion and and away from uh, incarceration. You know, because we even see among black youth, we see them um, incarcerated in adult prisons at far disproportionate rates to white youth. And, you know, this ruins lives. And so that's one of the things I've worked on. One of the things that I support in my campaign is the Marijuana Justice Act, which is Cory Booker's bill that would, um, you know, it would take uh, marijuana off the list of controlled substances because it's so interesting. The other day I was at the county fair in, in where was I? I was in Jackson County. And I was talking to a guy who's a, a former cop. And he was telling me, you know, you can have somebody who gets stopped and they have, you know, a roach in their car right. and it gets, and okay, so that's the first offense. Then they get picked up again and, you know, if they get prosecuted, like they're going away, you know, and that's somebody who's going away from a family, going away um, from their community, might not ever then be able to get a good job again if they get a felony conviction for that, you know, because of this problem that employers discriminate, which, you know, there's some issues around whether that itself is discrimination because it has a disparate impact on uh, racial minorities. And so, you know, we know that uh, this is a way it's frankly, it's really expensive for taxpayers to be locking people up for for these offenses that don't hurt other people. And it's really expensive and terrible for those families. Mm -hmm. So because it it takes a sometimes it's taking a father away from a family, it's taking a breadwinner, it's it's um, and then it's closing off opportunities into the future. So the Marijuana Justice Act just takes uh, marijuana off the list of controlled substances, and then it leaves it to states. But it says Mm -hmm. states, if you still are disproportionately sentencing black people and people of color for drug crimes, you're actually going to pay into uh, a justice fund for the state to figure out how to stop doing that and how to support communities of Mm -hmm. color. So it's a very smart way of getting states to start doing the right thing, incentivizing it with your dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing, if I can add, and then I want to turn to Jennifer, um, I'm encouraged every time this year to see um, in local communities, now this is, again, the local level, but then it can can have 
grand impact on the national level, uh, fathers and other professionals greeting children as they start the school year. And in Monroe County, that's just a, a few few weeks away. But to line up in the morning as, say, buses may arrive with uh, young children, white, black, Hispanic, whomever, and, and have fathers, male figures, male presence, uh, professionals out there um, just shaking hands, giving high fives, patting them on the back, say, hey, have a great day today. Uh, if something like that can be infused at the national level, these are simple, simple things. But as a child, if you see a role model, what an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as I grew up, I saw role models everywhere in my hometown of Gary, Indiana. Uh, I saw role models in law enforcement, law, uh, medicine, uh, education. But it does something to you. You can project yourself in that position years later. Mm-hmm. So then you begin to make smarter choices as you go along. Well, this may derail my, my path to my dream. So I want to stay away from that. But if, if somehow that can be infused at the national level, that would be awesome. And well, the other and th- we need more teachers of color. We and need, we need more to teachers, support, absolutely. Right, and, mm-hmm. and we need to support, you know, people being able to go into the teaching profession. And so, you know, there's actually legislation to, um, provide financial assistance to teachers of color and to provide for the recruitment and retention of teachers of color because we're because you know kids of color are don't aren't seeing those role models because it's very expensive uh to go and get that teaching degree and then to earn a wage that does not allow you to pay back your student loans that's right so mm-hmm. well for those who just joined us uh, you're listening to an extended interview portion of bring it on we have the great delight to talk with uh, candidate uh, liz watson who is will be vying uh, against um an incumbent, Trey, Ho- oh, Trey Hollingsworth, <laughs> uh, who's the representative of Indiana's 9th Congressional District in the November midterm election. And she's joined us uh, this evening for an extended conversation on her platform, her life, her passions, as you've been hearing clearly over the past uh, 35 minutes or so. And um, she's agreed to stay with us. And we're going to go sort of the distance tonight. But I want to turn things over now to Jennifer Crossley, who one day may be running for office <laughs> herself. Yay. Yay. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> uh, possibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so in, in saying all of that, and this is great, and and talking with the trend of, you know, women leading and women running. And we see, um, you know, Tammy Duckworth in office and she's just given birth a- again and she's doing it in office. And this is just great. I just want to ask you just by, you know, looking at you run your campaign. How have women, you know, whether it's on a national level, or whether it's local level, how have women helped with your campaign and how? How do they help you and and keep you motivated and running a campaign? Because mm-hmm. I, I know from just and looking at other campaigns as well, sometimes it can be tough. And, you know, as a woman, as a working woman, I can definitely relate to that when you're having to shuffle kids, you know, to different events and trying to find babysitters. Or if you can't, then you just bring them with you. Um, how, how does that, you know, impact you? And, and how, how have women helped motivate you in your campaign and and push you to keep going when you know your backs up against the wall well seeing all these women who are running across the country and i've gotten to meet some of them you know and it's a it's kind of a oh it can be a lonely spot mm-hmm. <laughs> to be a candidate 
I'll just, sorry, that's a vulnerable thing to say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so to have some other people who are in that boat with you and, you know, saying to each other, all right, we've got this. This is really important. We've got to do this. We're going to forever change the face of the Congress and it's never going to be the same. You know, if we if we get into Congress and you know this this blue wave is really it's really a wave that uh, women are riding and and if we get into congress you're going to see we know women bring more money back to their districts we are more likely to legislate on education on health care on a lot of the issues that our families need mm-hmm. um, we're going to see some attention you know to to the kitchen table problems that that we all struggle with and it's exciting. So it's been it's been exciting to get to know some of these women running across the country. Um, it's also been exciting to have the support of, you know, I think of a, a woman by the name of Laura Collins, who is just a wonderful um, member mm-hmm. of the community, who very early when I said, Laura, I think I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to run said, all right, you know, this is great. Let's, you need a website. And I said, oh, I don't have any money for a website. I don't, you know, she said, I'm just going to make you a website. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and off Laura went and she made a gorgeous website. And I remember we would talk after she put her daughter to bed. After Juno went to bed, she'd call me at 11 o'clock. And, you know, it was before there was a campaign, before there were staff, before there were people, mm-hmm. you know, before there was this army of 500. It was, you know, on the phone with Laura right. and at night just getting it done because mm-hmm. that's how we do as women. We get it done. Right. And and it was a really powerful thing. And that's been a relationship that has just only grown over mm-hmm. the course of this campaign. And that's a thing with women that I see is people whose lives are so full. And Jennifer, your your life is very full, <laughs> you know, making time yeah. and somehow fitting in something mm-hmm. that's so important. And not just on this campaign, but on, you know, we have, of course, we got women right. running um, up and down the ballot. And, and that's been really, really important. But I mean, I have to tell you that I also think it's it's critical um, that we see more people of color yeah. represented in Indiana. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's something that um, we are we are not where we need to be and we are not close. Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the things that kind of brings me to my next point is um, we had mentioned earlier that you can't sometimes be what you don't see. Yep. And so when we see things on television, whether, you know, you see um, you know, shows such as Blackish and different things like that. And I look at my girls and, and they get excited when they see things, especially my son when Black Panther came out. And um, he was so excited because he found, finally saw somebody who looked like him and it was amazing. And, and we speak of, you know, women running. How do you think, because I have two little precious, ambitious girls that maybe one day they would want to do sure something do. like this. So how do you think we can have more women of color at the table? So that's a really important question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of it starts with, uh, you know, folks and whatever. Your, my party is Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Democratic Party recruiting uh, women of color uh, recruiting men of color uh, and 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 providing financial resources, you know, and putting money and working on those campaigns, mm-hmm. um, because you know, and I'll say, it's funny, um, you know, as a woman, my experience is people don't ask you to run, and and I don't, you know, it's not a thing, you know, men get asked, you know, somebody with a law degree who'd done a lot in policy and 
experience but might have been asked I wasn't asked you know because that just doesn't happen for women right. <laughs> right. but I do think that it's really important uh, that you know the community come around and mm-hmm. support great candidates of color to run and win elections and it's very hard to run and win and it takes a tremendous amount of boots on the ground mm-hmm. it takes right. a tremendous amount of um, of financial support you know and so I think cultivating uh, those candidates, I think thinking about things like, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand is talking about giving circles right now. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when women ask her, what can I do? She says, and we've had this uptick in women's donations across the country. And I actually turned out to be the candidate who received, the challenger candidate who received the largest share of donations from women of anybody running in the country. Mm-hmm. Which, And then they called me and said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I don't know, because I didn't know that it had happened. But <laughs> thanks for informing me. Um, so, you know, I do think we want to think about very intentionally when we're thinking about where our money goes, where our time goes, where our dollars go. Who are those candidates we can encourage to run and then say, not only do I want you to run, but I will have your back in this very material way, mm-hmm. which is bucks and boots, which are the things that drive campaigns. Awesome. Well, on that pause there, I, I just want to say that we have gone officially 45 minutes without mentioning number 45. Uh, but it's uh, it time now thing. to, uh, <laughs> I, I have to dip into that murky uh, water. Uh, only because uh, a lot of his actions are impacting so many Americans and so many in the state of Indiana. And I'm just curious with the tariffs, uh, how will the tariffs affect farmers in Indiana and other laborers in Indiana uh, with the, the, the value of their product going down? Um, and then other things that number 45 has done. I think we could do it without saying his name. But nevertheless, your thoughts on, on this tariff battle, this... Um, self-manufactured tariff battle that's going on and any other comments you may have don't want to stay on him a whole lot of time we have about six minutes left in this interview but we cannot ignore the fact of what's going on and plus every day we could stay on issues for the next hour and a half but <laughs> the tariffs i want to talk about and and your plan once you're elected we're going to get very assumptive here and once you're elected what do you intend to do to sort of uh, bring sanity back in congress that is a great question. So the tariffs, you know, we're hearing from farmers that they are not pleased about the tariffs uh, and that the tariffs are, you know, making it harder for them to make a living. We know that, um, you know, affecting dairy prices, affecting soybean prices. Um, we also know that, that the administration has now offered the subsidy. And what a lot of farmers are saying is, you know, I'd rather just sell my stuff in a fair marketplace than, than take a subsidy. And the subsidy isn't covering, you know, the losses, the hit that I'm taking as a result of the tariffs. Um, look, previous administrations have implemented narrowly tailored tariffs from time to time to deal with the issue of dumping, um, you know, into... Uh, the U.S. markets uh, of uh, goods and products that are uh, from non-market-based economies like China, you know, uh, and that has been done in a very narrowly targeted and tailored way. That's not what we see here. So there was a problem with uh, the with China dumping of of uh, steel and aluminum into the U.S. and our trade enforcement wasn't wasn't doing enough. 
And so, you know, there was a push from the Steelworkers Union for these narrowly, for narrowly tailored target, you know, tariffs. That's not what happened. We now, you know, now we're escalating into a trade war with Canada. Canada has nothing to do with this. Our ally. Um, Right, right, our ally. So this has been, you know, terribly bungled. It's not good for our economy. It's not good uh, for our our trading partners. It's not good for a lot of uh, not just farmers, but a lot of other, you know, um, folks in the supply chain, right? And it's it's something that, you know, we need to immediately address to avoid having, you know, bigger and bigger losses. Um, what I will say, you know, Trey Hollingsworth has sided with, with uh, the administration on the tariffs. He showed up in Martinsville and, you know, beat his chest that he was – you know, proud to, to stand up, even though it's hurting Hoosier farmers. Um, he's in lockstep with the administration. He's he's never willing to take take a stand for Hoosiers. He is only willing to take a stand for himself. So I think we cannot end this this hour without mentioning that Hollingsworth voted for the tax law which gave 83% of the benefit to the top 1%. Why did he take that vote? Well, I think he took the vote because he personally got a $4.5 million kickback in the form of a tax cut. So Hollingsworth spent, he and his dad spent combined $4.5 million to buy his seat in Congress. He spent three, his dad spent $1.5 million. They bought a congressional seat. And then what did they do with it? They well, they went and they went and put their hand in the cookie jar and they took out they took that money back out four point five million. Now they did that while blowing a one point five trillion dollar hole in the deficit. They did that while making it so millions of Americans will go without health insurance, and they did that. And now we have Trey Hollingsworth and other House Republicans saying, oh, you know, we may need to look to Social Security and Medicare, you know, to, to pay for the $1.5 trillion hole. Oops. You know, I mean, the, what, what happened to fiscal responsibility? Mm-hmm. And this is what Hollingsworth did. And he thinks he ought to go back for a second term. You are not supposed to use Congress as your own personal cash register. You are supposed to be if you are representing people in southern Indiana, you need to understand that it's the people's house and you are supposed to meet with the people. You're supposed to hear what people want and you're supposed to fight for us, not for yourself. So self-dealing is not okay and I think it's time to vote him out. And and we have about two minutes. There's a talk like that that will get you elected. Yep. <laughs> well, well, with two minutes left, uh, I, I, and this is the most recent uh, utterance out of uh, 1600 Pennsylvania, whatever, whatever. But shutting down the government uh, just because I'm upset or I want to de- deflect attention so- from something else. But shutting the threat of shutting down our government, what goes through your mind when you hear that, especially now? Well, it's irresponsible. Uh, look, if you control all three branches of government, you can't keep the lights on. What's wrong with you? You know, uh, these are folks who currently are totally in charge, right? And uh, we know that Trey Hollingsworth wants this election to be about anything but the issues that actually affect our families' lives. He would like to keep us thinking about things that are not, you know, uh, the the real issues here in southern Indiana. And we're not going to let him. We're going to keep talking about the fact that we have an economy that works for shareholders. We have a tax cut that went to shareholders. Uh, we have uh, people, 48,000 people uninsured in our district. We have Betsy DeVos trying to gut our public schools. We have an opioid crisis that's ravaging southern Indiana. 
And we have a congressman who doesn't know a darn thing about any of those problems. And with uh, about 10 seconds left, we might let that be the last word. But, but of course, mm-hmm. if there's anything, any upcoming event that you'd like to promote for our listening audience, uh, a rally or whatever, um, that you'd like to share with the audience as we sort of close this segment of our show. Well, we'll be doing a, a roundtable uh, coming up. I think it's on August 8th with, with the Communications Workers of America. Um, and so I encourage folks to look on our Facebook page for that. Mm-hmm. And that Facebook address is just go to Facebook. Liz and for Indiana. Liz for Indiana. Uh, I'd like to thank you and uh, Lila uh, for, Good job. for coming on <laughs> today. And Lila has been just pouring over her, her iPad with her headphones on. She's ready for communications, I'm telling you. <laughs> I want to wish you the very best in third grade, Lila, as you start off a brand new school year. And uh, Attorney Watson, uh, Liz, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah. And uh, I know this fall is going to be chaotic, but if there is a space of time that we might be able to squeeze in, um, we, we know your schedule is going to change on a dime. We'd like, though, to, to send out an invitation um, and just let you know in advance that we'll be reaching out to see before uh, November uh, if you can join us uh, maybe by phone or something. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Well, thank you. William, I know you're listening in by phone and uh, wish you were here. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Any parting words of, of wisdom, Mr. Hosea? Yeah, go Liz. Go Liz. Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, William. Um, we'll go ahead then and, and just, just wrap this segment up. Also, thanks to Bring It On anchor William Hosea for joining us by phone. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. And that address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure that we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
You just heard A Change Is Gonna Come, sung by the legendary Sam Cooke. The song was inspired by various personal events in Cooke's life, most prominently an event in which he and his entourage were turned away from a whites-only motel in Louisiana. Cooke felt compelled to write a song that spoke to his struggle and of those around him, and that pertained to the civil rights movement and African Americans. The song contains the refrain, it's been a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. This is Bringing On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to Twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at WFHB.org. O-R-G slash news. Bring it on. Bring it on is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. We want to know what you think of our what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. And our thanks once again to attorney Liz Watson for joining us to talk about her upcoming challenge to unseat incumbent Trey Hollingsworth, U.S. Representative for Indiana's 9th Congressional District in November, in the November midterm election. Also a big shout out to bringing on co-anchor William Hosea for joining the conversation. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with the help of WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Jennifer Crossley. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, August 6th at 6 p.m. August already. August yes. 6th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. 
Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.